0: across the street from the texas state capitol in austin this is the trey blocker show starring charlie hodge and trey blocker with today's guest texas state representative jeff leach and here's trey blocker
1: thank you charlie hodge and welcome to the trey blocker show representative jeff leach is in the studio today thanks for coming in and joining us
2: trey good to be with you this morning
1: we are in the final throes of the 85th legislative session. How you feeling?
2: Well, uh, it depends on the day and it depends <laughs> on the time of the day. Um, you know, this has been a challenging session. I'm sure we'll get into some of that in our discussion this morning. It's been, a, uh, it's been an interesting session. This is my third session in the Texas House, and um, we've had our ups and downs. We've had our, our, um, our challenges our, our opportunities as well. We've missed some of those opportunities and we've hit some home runs as well. So um, it's, it's been mixed. But uh, I'll just tell you this I'm ready to get back home, uh, get done with our work, get back home to my family. I'll tell I, you that.
1: I suspect everybody feels like that about about. Yeah, this and you're ready for year. us to leave town too. <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. Representative Leach is from House District 67, which is Collin County. A little bit of Dallas County, does that sound right? That's right, Collin so County. So you've got Plano, Allen, Richardson, and um, Dallas. Is there a little a part Dallas? of the city of Dallas? Okay. Yeah, in Collin County. Gotcha. So that is a is, is that is Plano, Collin County, the most conservative area of the state of Texas?
2: Well, it's certainly one of them. Um, Collin County has historically uh, produced some of the most conservative uh, Republican legislators. In the House and in the Senate, Um, all the uh, statewide candidates love to come spend a lot of time in in Collin County. Um, I'll tell you, having been born and raised in Collin County, I was born and raised a conservative Republican, and um, you know we we have an engaged, active, energetic grassroots organization. Many grassroots leaders, Republican clubs, Um, business community is very strong, and and we're growing. We're we're. We've got about a million people living in Collin County. That number is expected to triple over the next 30 years. And it's guys like me who are going to be charged with ensuring that, that Collin County remains red and strong.
1: You know, interestingly, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but back in 2001, which feels to me like many lifetimes ago, I ran Senator Estes' first campaign. And back then, that, that uh, district was 36 counties that extended all the way from Collin County over to the Texas, New Mexico border and then wow. up into the Panhandle. But I remember at that time, once you got north of Plano a mile or two, it was farmland. There just wasn't much north of that for the most part. That's and right. things have changed a lot.
2: Yeah, if you come up to Collin County now, Plano is, is really the southern part of, of Collin County, uh, Plano and Richardson. And that uh, you, you go up north, you've got Frisco, um, McKinney, Anna, right. Prosper, um, and a number of just just exploding communities. Um, Where'd and, they all come from? Well, um, there a lot of a lot of people have just you know started having kids and grow. You know, the the turnover in Collin County with with new families moving in from other parts of the state, um, but also from um, states like you know California and. Um, New York, New Jersey, Illinois in fact we've had a lot of businesses who have relocated of course to our state but but really to North Texas the business community has just been exploding and um, it's it's amazing to look at it when uh, you you realize very quickly that a lot of these companies a lot of these people are coming from blue states Um, they're coming from blue states to to red Texas to red Collin County which is great we welcome them but it also presents some unique challenges and opportunities uh, for the future. So
0: I just thought of something. They've been in a blue state where their business was in the red and they right. needed to come to a red state to get it in the black.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and we've got to, we've got to um. ensure that they're, they're coming here because of our, uh, what we've built here, the Texas miracle didn't happen by accident, as you guys know. And, you know, we've got a, a great system set up in Texas which, which many people before me who have come before me have worked really hard, low, low taxes, predictable regulations, a fair, predictable environment, tort reform. And, and we've got to protect and preserve those things, even with people coming from blue states who may have a different political philosophy than us. They're coming here because what we've built here works. right But we've got to protect that.
1: So we have to protect it, and I think part of protecting that is somehow figuring out a way to educate these people and explain to them the reason you left your state is because the way that you and your friends have been voting for the past 25 to 50 years have have brought that state and let's just use California because we like beating up on California uh, because the way your voting patterns have brought that state to its knees with the overtaxation and the overregulation so you left you came to Texas but I bet you're still gonna vote the same way. That's right. And so how do we educate these people and make them understand free market principles and competition and what it means to live in a pro-business state?
2: Well, that's a great question. And the the reality is, um, if if you look at what our kids are being taught in schools, not only at our our universities, which of course, I think ground zero in the fight for America is in our, our universities, but it's also in our schools. Our public schools, um, of course, we, we have many strong private schools, homeschool families across the state. We welcome and invite and encourage that. But our public schools historically um, have taught the Constitution, have taught the, the founding documents, the founding principles, the, f- the first principles upon which America and, and the state of Texas were founded. And what I've seen, even with my own kids in public schools, is us retreat from that. Right. Um, there are some teachers who uh, devote themselves to teaching first principles and the founding documents. and what this nation was built on. But um, we've drifted from that, even in Texas. And so one of the things we've done here in the legislature this session, one of the good things we've done is reinvigorate and actually require these things to be taught. I know um, I, along with Chairman Guerin, uh, Trent Ashby, and others have worked to to kind of reemphasize that in our public schools. And hopefully that will make a difference going forward. But we've got to be teaching our kids. Of course, it's the parent's job, right, Trade It's the parent's job to teach these things at home. Sure, But those should be reinforced in our schools as well. We've drifted drifted from that and we need to recommit ourselves to teaching those things.
1: Well, I agree with that completely. And and like you said, at the university level as well, because the universities across the country have been bastions for for liberalism and uh, for lack of a better word, outright brainwashing. That's right. Trigger
0: warning is a phrase I didn't know before and I wish I'd never heard. That's right. (laughs) I mean, the idea. Of going to a university to have your thoughts controlled.
1: <laughs> you know, we talk about freedom of speech, open-mindedness, and diversity, and there's none of that on college campuses today. It, all, all of the professors, the vast majority of the professors are left-leaning, and they don't want free speech. They're there to indoctrinate. That's right. Not provoke thought. And that's unfortunate. And these are the kids. This is where we're, send it, we're sending our kids to get educated and go out into the world. And how do we expect them to believe anything other than what they're, what they're believing these days? Yeah. It, how do it, we get a control on that?
2: Well, it, it's, you're right. The, the, the people who preach and espouse tolerance are sometimes some of the most intolerant people you can run into. The people <laughs> who, who believe that we ought to have a diverse thought and welcome new ideas Are only comfortable when when their ideas are are the ones that are espoused and protected but if i were to come in and say you know the freedom of religion um means the freedom to worship as i choose and run my business the way i want and raise my family and educate my kids the way that i want to not the way the government tells me i have to or the way that might offend you a little bit, and and that's um, that's become very very clear to me and to many of us, not only in, in public service but across this country, as we just pay attention to the discourse in America, is is what I said that the many people who say we need to be tolerant and understanding and loving are sometimes right. some of the most unloving, intolerant. Absolutely. Misunderstanding people, there are.
1: I mean, all we have to do is look back at the video, and of course, we didn't see a lot of this on CNN. We certainly didn't see it on MSNBC. But the violent protest at Trump rallies uh, right. during the election cycle—is that open-mindedness? Is is that being tolerant? Absolutely not. No, it's not.
2: It's not. And and if you if you look back to um, the the founding of this great country, you realize that look, our founders, they had their. Adamant, vigorous disagreements and debates about what America should be, what it could be, how we should organize the government, how um, the, you know the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. You can read these writings, but at the end of the day, they came together and understood that what was in the best interest of the country was for us to, as much as possible, put our differences aside to respect one another's opinion. I'm going to respect your right to worship, to go to whatever church you want, but I'm also going to require you to respect my right to go to what church I want to worship, the way I want, believe what I want and raise my family. That's that's what this nation was founded on. Um, it, yeah, we we have a separation of church and state, I guess, but that doesn't mean we have a separation of God and country and it doesn't mean that that when I when I think about the separation of church and the state, the separation of church and state, that's meant to protect the church from the state, not the state from the church. That's right. If that makes sense. That's and right. so um, we we've drifted from that and I and I'm hopeful that maybe we could have a new generation of of Americans who are reinvigorating and rededicating ourselves to our founding principles.
1: So you and your wife Becky have three children: uh, Brady eight, Brady's nine now, nine. just turned nine. Yes.
2: Charlotte, how old is she? Charlotte six, and Landry's two. That's
1: that's uh, quite a spread there. That's got to keep you busy.
2: It does keep me busy. Those kids are um, they are um, wonderful. It's um, it's the biggest blessing of my life to get to be married to Becky and be dad to these three kids and um, they're, they're just, they're, they're my, my, my prizes. They're just wonderful. The Lord has has blessed me abundantly. and I miss them. I'm ready to get home. You know, one of the the things I've said is, um, I, I serve at home to prepare my children for the world and I serve in the Texas house to prepare the world for them. And, um, and it's true. Every time I walk on the floor of the Texas house, I'm reminded that what we do here matters. Um, not just for, for me and our generation trade, people who are who are, are, I guess, you know, running the state, quote unquote, right. sure. now, but for future generations of Texas, for my children and their children, and we've got we've got immense challenges that if we don't address, we're not the ones that are going to be paying for it; they're going to pay for it.
1: Absolutely. So uh, our good friend Representative Matt Kraus uh, out of out of North Texas, I think he just had his twelfth kid or something. Yeah, Matt, I've lost <laughs> count how many kids Representative Krauss has. I have too, and and you know I see these pictures of his family and they're beautiful pictures, and but I I can't count that high. I know, right? You know, I, I went to law school, so I didn't have to do math. He's a great guy. Right, yeah, he's he's, a, he's a wonderful guy. So all of that to say, are you going to have four or five more? Are you trying to keep up with Matt or no, we we are done. <laughs> if if we I
2: tell you this, if we have another child, some doctor is going to get sued somewhere. Um, because uh, we are we are done, you know. We uh, it's a blessing to be there, Dad. It's a full time job, but it's um, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, it's, like I said, just the, the greatest honor of my life to be be daddy to Brady and Charlotte and Landry. And you know, going back to what we were talking about, Brady um, last year when we were traveling the, the the nation, we were working with Senator Cruz when he was running for president. We went to Florida and Michigan and um, Iowa and South Carolina. I took Brady to one of the debates in Detroit, Michigan. With me, and yes. we got to spend some time with Senator Cruz um, after the debate. This was when it was just him, Kasich, uh, Trump, and Rubio. We spent some time with Senator Cruz there in Detroit, Michigan, and Senator Cruz handed Brady a Constitution. And Brady still to this day carries that little pocket Constitution with Ted Cruz's face to school oh, with awesome. him. He carries a Bible and a, and a Constitution, and I and I've been told by some of his teachers he's the only uh, that con- that copy of that Constitution is the only copy of the Constitution they have there at the school. Well, that's and so sad, isn't it, it is sad. It is, and you know, he's only in third grade, so I don't expect third graders to to uh, know the Constitution. But he's memorizing the preamble. He knows the first three words: "We the People." And so we talk a lot about the Constitution, and of course the the Word of God in our house. He's a great kid. All, all three of them are just wonderful. So
1: that's incredible. Yeah. So he hasn't gotten beaten up yet for walking around with Ted Cruz on the face <laughs> of <on> the Constitution. <laughs> no, not <to laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Have I been out of school so long, or is that cool now? <laughs> you know what? Uh, not
2: yet. He he. Um, He was uh, pretty popular in school just because he got to experience some really cool things through that that presidential race. And he went that same night, he went up to President Cruz, or (laughs) not President Cruz, uh, to candidate Cruz, Senator Cruz, and said, Senator Cruz, uh, this is my third grader, Then, then in second grade talking, he said, Senator Cruz, I want you to do something when you become president, I want you to do something about the star test. (laughs) <laughs> and Senator Cruz, ever the ever the constitutionalist, said, "Well, well, that's a state issue. That's your daddy's problem, not my problem good in Washington." For him. Yeah, good for him. So, so Brady was like, "All right, Dad. Well, I guess it's your job to do something about the Star Test."
1: You know, I, I love that response because I feel like a, a lot of good Republicans go to Washington D.C. and they sit up there for you know five years, ten years, fifteen years, and and I think this problem can befall anyone. They think they need to pass bills, mm-hmm. right? And so they start, you know, passing a lot of laws on education. And in my personal view, there should not be a federal Department of Education that, that, that should be left to the states. But unfortunately, they get up there and they just keep creating more and more programs. And so it's good that Senator Cruz said that.
2: Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, say what you will about uh, Senator Cruz. I know he's he's maybe rubbed some people the wrong way in Washington, but he's done exactly what he said he would do when he ran for office, and that's fight for the people that he that he serves and that he represents. I think he's been a tremendous uh, senator. I'm excited to, to work for his re-election uh, this next year and support him. And, you know, th- look, wherever you are on the issues, wherever, you know, we all have disagreements on the issues. None of us agree on 100 percent of things, but um, we, we all should do what we say we would do when we when we ran for office, and he's done that. I try to do that as well. And, uh, maybe that's one of the problems with government is people who run saying one thing and then go govern doing something completely different.
1: All right. Well, it's the end of the session, and I think we're all <laughs> tired, and, and you just opened the door uh, that I'm going to walk through. Um, I absolutely agree. I, I think there are a lot of folks, honestly, on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, who have very I- idealistic views and and have a platform that they believe in and they run on and they get elected, and then they get to Austin or they get to Washington, Washington, D.C., and at some point all of that kind of falls apart in varying degrees for each person. I mean, it seems like the process itself, and I don't know if it's the money involved or the, the process within the building, uh, but it, uh, it all seems to have a corrosive influence, in my view, on the ideals that people come into the building with. Uh, have you seen that? You've been here for three terms. Have you witnessed that? I, you know, I have. Unfortunately,
2: it's it's been one of the unfortunate realities of of politics is you you um, you see uh, maybe power um, corrupt people and corrupt really good people on right. both sides of the aisle. People who you know when we decided to run for office when all of us decided to run, I assume we ran on, um, on our ideas, on our convictions, on a need and a desire to serve our constituents and our communities, our neighbors. And then it's, it's, um, you have to constantly remind yourself every time you walk onto the floor of the Texas house that you're not here for yourself. You're not here for any special interest or lobbyist in Austin. You're not here serving to, um, to to be powerful, to, but we're here to be to be servant leaders and to represent, to be advocates for the people back home. That's a constant thing that we have to remind ourselves of every time we walk into the halls of power. Sure, is that 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 going back to those three words, we the people. Well, we the people sent Jeff Leach here to serve we the people, and if I ever lose sight of that, then I hope my constituents will you know will remove me because I would have served for too long and for the wrong reasons.
1: So for years, there's been this ongoing debate about term limits, and I have always taken the stance that I personally am against term limits because I believe that's the responsibility of the electorate at the ballot box. I I mean, if, if your constituents watch your voting record in the 85th legislature and determine, you know, Jeff, you're not voting how we intended you to vote or how you told us you were going to vote, so we're gonna go recruit somebody to run against you and we're gonna vote that person and we're gonna vote you out. That's how it should work. That's right. But look, I've been doing this for 20 years. I spent 10 years inside the bu- building in various capacity capacities. I've been 10 years outside of the building in various capacities. And that's just simply not the way it works and people get elected and I feel like the longer they're here, the more corrosive the influence of the process and the, and the power and the corruption of the power uh, seeps into your bones, you know? And, and I've almost gotten to the point where I think term limits might be a good idea. Where do you stand on that? Yeah,
2: well, I, I'm generally where you are, uh, where you've described yourself as maybe you used to be, is I, I'm generally against term limits for the very reasons that you've just outlined, is, is I believe that the, the best term limit is an educated, engaged um, population. Hype dream.
0: Um, yeah, well... <laughs> I'm sorry. When you, It always does come down to the people, and the sad fact is, if you don't have to educate yourself, a lot of people just don't. Yeah. It's like with parenting. I have kids, and when, where they go to school, you can tell. I mean, the parents that don't get involved, it is reflected That's in right. the behavior and the the progress of their children. Yeah. The um, look, I, I trust my
2: people. Um, I, I, I do trust my people. And in Collin County, as I mentioned earlier, I feel like our, our electorate is engaged. Sure, voter turnout is low, but um, Trey, to your point, if I if I'm not doing a good job serving the needs of my constituents, they will kick me out of office. We've seen that happen. Should it happen more, probably so. But I don't want to tie the hands of my own constituents. For instance, if I'm doing a great job and they want me to go back. Sure. Then I don't want to tie my hands, the hands of my constituents, to allow me to go do that, to right. continue fighting on their behalf. And so, look, it's a debate we should have. It's an argument that we should have. I don't know solidly where I am on it. It's not something that I've I've really thought a lot about because we haven't had any serious proposals here in the legislature. But, but one, one to, to your point is we we did away with straight ticket voting this session. Yeah. That bill is on its way to the governor's desk. It will be interesting to see how um, that I shouldn't say straight ticket, one punch voting. So you could still vote a straight ticket, but you got to go down the ballot in each race. Sure. And it'll be interesting to see, as we've seen in other states, um, the population, in other words, has been forced, or for lack of a better word, has been forced to become mm-hmm. more educated because no longer can they just walk in, punch Republican, and walk out. They're going to have to, if they want to go down ballot, know who they're voting for and know what those people
1: stand for. So is that, That's is the that, hope, at least. Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
2: I voted for
0: it. We'll see. Right. That's, what's, that's why voting is so delicate. Everybody has the right to do it. But they don't have to take it serious. I mean, it's your right to go in there and vote for vowel sounds. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, that would be an interesting paper: the things people use to qualify who they vote for when they don't know who either person is. Well,
2: as we've seen in Dallas County and Harris County and in other other pockets across the state, really across the nation, as we we've seen what we saw in Harris County this past fall, is an entire um, judiciary. A Republican, I, think, I believe they were 90% Republican judiciary overturned in one election, not based on the merits of the judges, but based on the political party. And um, and it flipped in one election because people just went in and they, they voted for Hillary over Trump. They selected Democrat right. over Republican. An entire slate of judges who'd been on the bench serving faithfully for many years were, were wiped out.
1: And that happened in Dallas County.
2: That happened in Dallas County several years ago. And, and it, right. it
1: also happened in Harris County this past election. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah, it's it's hard to say, and 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 I, you know, I'm never one to believe that uh, government should take the role of of big brother, and we know better than you, and we're gonna, you know, tell you what to do because because we're smarter than you, and 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 I guess in a way, term limits would be that, you know, we we don't trust you to make the right decision, so we're gonna we're gonna impose a system that will make that decision for you.
2: Yeah, I I. I I trust the founders, too. Sure. Um, I think the founders did a pretty dang good job of um, of setting forth a structure of, of empowering the people, of decentralizing power away from government. Unfortunately, the Constitution has been trampled on um, by by members of both parties, by right. the way, right. administrations, legislatures, and judges. And what we have to do is recommit ourselves to the Constitution, to, to limiting government and, and giving power back to the people. And I think that term limits, based on what I know now, what I believe today, I think term limits would take that power away from the people that the founders intended the people to have um, for as long as they wanted to exercise. So we'll, we'll see. It's an interesting debate. It's not one that I'm scared to have. And um, like I said, there haven't really been any serious proposals here in the Texas legislature to consider.
0: It's not, it's not going anywhere this session. No, that's right. <laughs> I mean, is today the last day?
1: Today is the last day. Well, wow. uh, officially the last uh, last day of session would be a week from yesterday, but yes, uh, the clock is ticking, and uh, time is running out, and bills are dying, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, the, uh, to, uh, kind of a corollary in my view of the conversation we just had about term limits is the influence of money in politics, and and there's always a lot of conversation about that, and... My my traditional position on that has been there should there shouldn't be any contribution limits either because to me that's an infringement upon uh, my free speech or someone's free speech to support the candidates of their choice. But at the same time, I can also say, having been in this business in some way, shape, or form for 20 years, I have witnessed firsthand the corrupting influence of money in politics. So, is there a way to solve that problem?
2: Boy, that that is a interesting question. Um, I, I agree with you on the when you when you limit campaign contribution limits, you're you're essentially limiting people's right to speak and to be involved and to petition their government. And um, I think we have it right here in the state, um, allowing people to uh, you know no con- contribution limits for individual contributions, and then um, disclosing to the people. Well, we have a very transparent process here in the state so that people know where the money's coming from. At the same time, the, the whole dark money uh, debate is also a really important debate because I don't want to uh, force um, organizations who have their individual donor lists to release those individual donor lists. I don't want to, from threat of government, force them to disclose. I think that's a very, we've seen in other states um, historically. That's, that could be a, a sword of government instead of a shield of government. And I I would be concerned about forcing organizations to disclose their donor list sure um the 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 disclosure requirements ought to be on the candidates and the the office holders not on the people if that makes sense so i ought to show you where i'm getting my money from but i don't want to have to force every american citizen to show me what groups are you giving to i think that's a violation of their constitutional rights and i think what we have here in texas works for the most part
1: okay Well, you know, Representative, one thing I've noticed is uh, this session, the Texas Freedom Caucus has become a tad bit more visible, and I'm looking at the website for the the Freedom Caucus, and if you'll uh, indulge me for a second, I want to read the mission statement because I think it's important. Uh, The mission of the Texas Freedom Caucus, it says, We recognize that the United States was founded upon the truth, that our unalienable rights are given to us by God that government is instituted by God to protect those rights while deriving its authority from the people, and that the U.S. and Texas constitutions are the guiding limits on government action. Recognizing this truth, the Texas Freedom Caucus is founded in the Texas House of Representatives with a mission to amplify the voice of liberty-minded, grassroots Texans who want bold action to protect life, strengthen families, defend the U.S. and Texas Bill of Rights, restrain government, and revitalize personal and economic freedoms in the state of texas so my question for you I, 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 all of this sounds incredibly wonderful is this not the platform of the republican party why do you need the texas freedom caucus <laughs> oh
2: man that's a great question and a great point um you know we we established the freedom caucus just um, really just three months ago this caucus is is fresh it's new and our our mindset This session, there's 12 of us who are members of the Texas Freedom Caucus, has been to take bold baby steps um, this session as we get started on behalf of the grassroots. And the reason that the Freedom Caucus was formed is because there was a void, a clear and unmistakable void of conservative leadership in the Texas House, of um, what I mentioned earlier, Republicans who go back home and campaign as conservatives and then come here to the Capitol, and for whatever reason, perhaps for a number of reasons, um, they don't fulfill their promises to the people. And I've always said that my job, my most important job as a state representative, and the job of every state representative, should be to ensure that the voice of the people of Texas is heard loud and clear on the floor of the Texas House. And the voice of the grassroots in many situations over my five years in this chamber has been muffled, has been shut out, has been silenced. And the reason the Freedom Caucus was formed is not to attack any other members, not to necessarily be a sword on the, on the floor of the Texas House or to be offensive to anyone, but it's simply to fill a void of um, a voice for the grassroots. And I think that over the past three months, we've made some major progress in doing that. I'm proud of the work we've done.
1: Sure. Well, you certainly made a bold statement as a group about two weeks ago when— uh, and, and you'll have to explain to the audience this procedural maneuver— but uh, the Freedom Caucus, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of my facts here, uh, basically killed the entire local and consent calendar in the House. Uh, tell the audience what the motivation for that was, and and what that calendar is, and why that's important.
2: Well, um, look, it, it was we we did what we did for two reasons, and it was unfortunate that we had to do it. It wasn't it wasn't pleasant to kill an entire you know over 100 bills in one fell swoop on a procedural move. But we felt like we, our hand was forced for two reasons. Number one, and, and most importantly, we felt like there were, were issues important to grassroots conservatives, issues important to the Republican Party, issues that, that are in the Republican platform, pro-life, pro-family, um, spending limits, property tax reform, Second Amendment issues, um, the, the Texas Privacy Act, that, that were not, at that point, getting a fair shake on the floor of the Texas House. Much of it was bottled up in committee. It was being killed behind closed doors. We had tried to, as much as possible, respectfully ask and pressure leadership to bring those things up for a vote to, again, as I said, ensure that the voice of the people of Texas was heard on the floor of the Texas House. And so we did what we did to make a statement and right. to, uh, I don't want to say force anyone's hand, but to to in, ensure that, that those things started to move. And then secondly, we did what we did in response to what was um, essentially done to us in that, that there were there was some really, really petty personal politics happening on the floor of the Texas House and in committees to attack the conservative members of the Texas House, to kill bills that were important to us, that we had worked on, bills that would have received broad support in the Texas House. And the only reason those bills weren't reaching the House floor is because members don't they, they there's some members who just don't like conservatives and i would add that some republican members not democrats some republican members who don't like firebrand conservatives on the floor of the texas house and just wanted to punish us and we said look you can hit us again and again and again and most of the time nine times out of ten we'll walk away we'll be kind uh we'll rise above it but at the, at the
1: end of the day when a bully bullies you again and again and again you got to punch back and that's what we did so is it frustrating to you um How many Republicans are in the House? 95. 95 Republicans out of 150 members, almost a supermajority. Yet, as conservatives, getting the sense that you feel marginalized and sidelined in this process.
2: Marginalized and sidelined would be putting it nicely. I think silenced is probably a better better word. we feel. Look, we've had our victories this session. I don't want to um, to say that we we haven't accomplished anything for the conservative movement this session because we have. We've done a lot a number of number of really good things. We should be proud of, and that the people should be happy with. But w- when when you have ninety five Republicans in the House, you have a supermajority in the Senate, you have a conservative lieutenant governor, a conservative governor, there shouldn't be a su- such a challenge. It shouldn't be so difficult and seemingly at times impossible. For us to advance conservative legislation in the Texas House, right? And so, we are—we have tried and tried and tried to work with leadership, to work with other members, to uh, collaborate, and to ensure that we can, in a in a respectful fashion, get these things to the floor for a vote and get them sent to the governor's desk. But sometimes you gotta—you know—you gotta use well, procedure, you gotta use the rules, and you gotta—you gotta fight. It and sounds that's what like we've done. You,
0: you were up against a caucus of sorts that just didn't have a name. I mean, if, if you have a majority like that and there's something working against you, maybe they never uh, branded themselves or built a website, but there's clearly a group of people that are making decisions that are counter to yours, and it almost seems like it's fighting fire with fire.
2: You know, you're, you're, that's a great way to put it. Um, the, 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 the people of Texas in our respective districts sent us here to do a job and all 95 Republicans, with the exception of maybe a couple, um, campaigned on I'm, uh, we're going to we're going to advance pro-life legislation. We're going to be bold for life. We're going to uh, we're going to protect the family. We're going to protect the privacy of women and children and in, in, um, in facilities and public schools. We're going to uh, we're going to advance property tax reform. We're going to limit government. We're going to advance the Second Amendment. All these things we all campaigned on. We sent mailers on. We talked about at town hall meetings. We you know, these are the things we, we told the people we would do, and then we get to Austin, we walk in the pink dome, we walk onto the floor of the Texas House. Why is it so hard for us to accomplish these things? Why are we in the last day of session today and we're just now getting to voter ID? We just passed a big pro-life bill with three days left in session. These things could have been accomplished weeks ago, if not months ago. And so um, I don't want to I don't want to paint this session as a failure because it's not. We've done a lot of good things. But going forward, we need to, to recommit ourselves to what we do, what we say on the campaign trail. And that's what the Freedom Caucus is. is that's why we formed. That's what we've been about. And that's what we're going to continue to focus on. Sure. It's, so, it's not about any member here, any state representative. This is about the
1: people that we serve. Right. So a good example of what you just mentioned and the frustrations with, with all of these conservative uh, pieces of legislation would be Senate Bill 6, which is the Privacy Act which the press has conveniently labeled the bathroom bill, right? But uh, it's intended to protect the privacy of, of all, all of our kids and the students in, in, in uh, schools and to protect businesses uh, from being forced by local governments or from uh, a, an, a federal administration that's not friendly from dictating how they operate their bathrooms. Um, and this bill, Senate Bill 6, got passed – out of the Senate and received in the House March 16th, the middle of session. Right. And the bill itself never got voted out of committee, uh, never got a hearing on the House floor. Recently, uh, an amendment was added to uh, a transportation bill uh, to, to affect some piece of this legislation, but only a piece of it. Uh, how how frustrating is that to you? And you know, I, and tell me how frustrating it is for you to read the press because I know you get a packet of clips every day at the Capitol. And I'm looking at today's copy of the Austin American Statesman, and it and and above the fold it says House OKs transgender compromise, and the subtitle is Bill to ban. Transgender-friendly bathrooms in public schools. Well, that's not that, what the bill does. Right. So, where are we on this? Yeah. Well,
2: a couple couple things. Um, it, the you're exactly right. This bill was passed um, in bipartisan fashion. I might add by the Texas Senate early on. Lieutenant Governor talked about this and made it a priority of his. And let me remind you that um, this just wasn't his idea. Thousands of Texas citizens have spoken out on this. Um, pastors, uh, Republicans and Democrats from all across this state have spoken out and said the Texas Legislature needs to act to ensure the privacy and the dignity and the safety of women and children in facilities. That's really what this is about. Right. No one in this building, Republican or Democrat, on both sides of this issue, no one, including me, wants to force a student to use a facility that they're not comfortable with. Sure. No one wants to. F- that's not what this is about. Right. This is about protecting. the the safety and the privacy of women and children. And it's unfortunate that the media and other members of this legislature, people here in Austin, have mischaracterized what this issue is all about. But the fact of the matter is is that the people of Texas have said they want us to do this. The Senate acted quickly and the House has been sitting on it. House leaders have said this bill will not get to the floor for a vote. It's been killed in committee. Senate Bill 6 really never even got a fair shake in a hearing. It's just been killed behind closed doors. At the very least, this bill should have brought up been brought up on the floor of the Texas House weeks ago for deliberation and debate and a vote in front of the people of Texas, and it and it wasn't. So you're right. This past weekend, it wasn't. A, it was in a transportation bill. Was it was, a, it was a, a school safety bill. Okay, so. and and, it, and Representative and Chairman Bonin, tacked it on as an amendment, a kind of a watered down version, but still a good bill as an amendment because that's basically the only option we were given. Right. right. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate.
1: So what else are you working on this session that's been important to you?
2: Well, look, there's been a number of, of, of things that I'm really proud of. Um, Senator Kirk Watson, who um, you know is a Democrat here from Austin, um, he and I are good friends. We're both Baylor graduates, and we've been um, uh, very involved in the, the campus sexual assault issue um, across this state. We passed some great legislation together aimed at addressing the problems of campus sexual assault, protecting and empowering victims of sexual assault, and really coming alongside these universities who are struggling with how to deal with this. Um, Baylor is just one of many universities who's dealt with this so I'm very proud of the work we've done in that and and that's just one example of many that we've actually worked in a bipartisan fashion Trey, as you know, there's a lot of great work that goes on in this building that the media never reports on. The media likes to report on the fights, the debates, the disagreements, the, kind of the nasty stuff in politics. Right. And so it would be normal for – it wouldn't be unusual for a Texas citizen to look and say, man, these guys, all they do is fight. They don't get anything done. But, you know, that's not the reality. Eighty percent of what we vote on in the Texas House is bipartisan. And I've been proud to work on criminal justice reform, tax reform, some really cool educational reforms aimed at, at testing and empowering local control, local school boards of parents, um, property tax reform, and some really, really neat pro-life measures as well that we've worked on. And we still got the budget in front of us. The final budget will come up in the next couple days. We've got voter ID today. Um, I don't know when this this is going to broadcast. All that will probably be done when it's broadcast. But our hope is that we can get done here um, over the next six days and, and get out of town
1: and go back home. Everybody is ready to I go back home. Um you know, the, the, the Baylor interesting is issue, interesting to me, and, and like you said, it's not unique to Baylor, so I don't want to sound like I'm singling out Baylor, but what transpired at Baylor is truly offensive and appalling, and, and the rapes that went on on that campus and the administration and the trustees attempted to, to sweep under the rug. Uh, and to me, in my opinion, I know there are some efforts at reform at Baylor my question for you as an alumnus of Baylor is, are they doing enough? Um,
2: well, I don't think you can ever do enough. I don't think you'll ever arrive at a perfect solution. Um, look, the people, there's sin in the world, and college students are, are college students, and people make mistakes and, and create, do some awful things. Uh, what Baylor did was, was wrong. Um, I, I as, an, as an alum who loves the university, my wife and I are both alums. Our kids will probably go there. My daughter wears a Baylor cheerleader outfit every Halloween and you know wears it to school. I mean, we love Baylor, sure, but we were heartbroken, absolutely right. devastated and heartbroken at what happened at our, our beloved university. Mm-hmm. Um, having met with uh, many of the regents, university officials, law enforcement in Waco, having worked on these issues with Senator Watson, I believe Baylor has, has done a good job in addressing it, but there's always more that can be done. And I know they're, they're v- being vigilant in, in, in addressing the issue and, and ensuring that students on campus are protected. Um, you know, when you hear the stat that 15% of University of Texas females have experienced sexual assault, 15%. It's unbelievable. You think how many. there's. What are there, 30,000 female students at, at UT? So, right. you know, over a, thousand, a couple thousand female students have been sexually assaulted at UT. I mean, this is an epidemic. and This is a problem of sin in the heart of, of mankind. And we have to, uh, we've got to address it. Um, government, local elected officials, local law enforcement, universities have got to come together and try to find solutions. And I think Baylor's doing that. We're certainly doing that here in Austin.
1: Well, interestingly, our next episode, we're going to have as a, as a guest uh, Democratic State Representative Donna Howard from here in Austin. Donna's who is, been a huge advocate with me on this. As absolutely. Well. She's been working hard on this issue and uh, addressing sexual assault. And and there there's this just absurd backlog in the analysis of rape kits yeah. in the state of Texas, which I think is is appalling, and I want to talk to her about that. But I appreciate all the work that you're doing in a bipartisan fashion uh, to address that issue, because I think it's a uh, it's an, it is indicative of the sin in the world, and and there needs to be more attention and focus on it. And you know, just uh, as a side note, a couple months ago, I guess it was after the election, there was this there was this big rally on the Capitol steps. The 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 woman's March, right. right? And and I asked my girlfriend, I said, are you going to the women's March? And she said no. I said, well, why not? And she said, I don't know what they're marching about. Mm-hmm. And, and I to this day, I'm not sure what they were marching about other than they were mad about Donald Trump being elected president. But why aren't they marching on these campuses and asking for reform on the campuses um, you know, maybe that's a question for somebody else. But you know, we are running low on time here. Uh, as it is our tradition on the Tray Blocker Show, we like to end our episodes with a with a quote uh, from a guest. And uh, some people come in with song lyrics. Some people come in with Bible verses.
2: Well, let me let me come in with just a, a really quick story. Okay, this is just a um, a story I like to tell. Um, you know, my so we were talking earlier about my son Brady and daughter Charlotte and Landry. And um, when I'm home. Um, one of my favorite things to do is drive them to school every morning. That that ten minutes, that, you know, driving them to school is some of the best talks I have. They just open up, and sure. we just laugh and joke and talk about the day and about what's going on in their lives. and And when they get out of school, every morning I tell them, "This is what my dad did to me when I was young," and I've and I've um, do it to my kids every morning. I tell them two things when they get out of the car. I say, number one, Dad loves you. I want my son and my daughter to know that their dad loves them. Um, that they're I want to affirm them when they get out of the car. I don't right. think I don't think parents tell their kids enough that they love them, and and so I, I want my kids to know I love them. And then number two, I tell them be a leader, be a leader today. I want Brady and Charlotte and Landry when they walk on the school of that public camp that their their campus, whether they're nine or nineteen, to know that that I expect them to be leaders, not to just go along to get along, but to be a leader, to stand up for truth and for righteousness and for good, and to to, to not just. You know go along but the two sure. leaders so an interesting story last session um, i was walking onto the floor of the texas house through the lobbyists you know sometimes i talk to my kids on the phone in the mornings <laughs> as i'm walking through the lobbyists just so i don't have to talk to all the lobbyists through but the shark tank I w- yeah i was talking to my, my son on the phone and he was on his way to school and i was walking onto the floor of the texas house and i and i said son i got to go now or, you know i'm walking onto the floor and he said he said this he said daddy he said i love you be a leader today he said nice. that to me, be a leader today. Nice. And and I uh, that's just, I, I'm reminded of that story because my job here as a state representative is to be a leader, not to just go along to get along, not to do what some special interest or some other legislator or the Speaker of the House tells me to, to, but to do, but to, to fight for what I believe in, to be a leader for my constituents, for my family and my community. That's what I've tried to do, and um, that's what I'm going to continue to try to do for as long as I'm blessed to have this job.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, State Representative Jeff Leach, thank you for coming on the show today, and we hope you'll join us again sometime soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good summer.
0: This has been the Trey Blocker Show. Thank you to our guest, Texas State Representative Jeff Leach. Download episodes at treyblocker.com or your favorite podcasting app.